Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And Father, thank you. Without you, it's impossible. So thank you for your awesome grace towards us, Lord. Thank you for pouring out your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to study Jesus is for us and in us. Amen. And first revelation is Emmanuel, God with us. This was given to Winnie Asagata, 528, 23. I dreamed that I and a few others were on a train above ground going to the right. And it was a bright sunny day out. And we were sitting at a rectangular table with white linen cloth on it, Um, and of course, to the right is the right direction to go for the sheep, right? I heard Debbie Finsky, she said, receive a word from the Lord, as she does sometimes, and she said, Jesus is with us. He is with us. Well, in the light is with the presence of our King, right? And Matthew 28 and 20 says, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And also Deuteronomy 31 and 8 says, The Lord, He is, He it is that doeth go before thee, He will be with thee, He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. I suddenly had a revelation that Jesus was truly here with us. Uh, My heart was so full and enlarged, and I could feel the presence of the Lord there very strongly. Matthew 18 and 20 says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And John 1 and 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father. full of grace and truth. Amen. I could also feel that He, that is the Word, was in me and in us, and was very big, even bigger than me. Yes, we know. First <laughs> John 4 and 4, You are of God, my little children, 
and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We need to remember that. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, right? And she said, I thank you, Lord, for this reminder that you are in us and are greater than he that is in the world and that he can overcome the world through us. Amen. And a verse that I received by faith at random was John five thirty-five and 36. He was the lamp that burneth and shineth, and you were willing to rejoice for a season in his light. But the witness which I have is greater than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to accomplish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. Amen. How come they didn't figure that out? Uh, or they were awed and thought he was a prophet for sure, but um, they didn't figure out that it was God inside. And this next one uh, was given to Tiana Fire for 2023. We called it Christ Inspects the Bride. I was at a street view in a major city where I saw a giant lion about the size of a one-story building walking around. Well, the lion is Jesus. He's the Lion of Judah. I was on a corner of three connected streets. The three connected streets, I believe, represent a person's mind, will, and emotions. Um and represent the suke or soul. Uh, also, Jesus is the cornerstone, and that's where it was, at the corner. He is in the center, right? Ephesians two nineteen through 22 says, So then, you're no more strangers and sojourners, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the chief corner stone, in whom each several building, fitly framed together, groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. And, of course, we know there are people that try to keep the church from coming together. That's what faction means, right? The lion came down the street to my right, meaning, of course, righteousness, and he saw me and stared at me. I knew it was looking directly at me, but I had no fear or any negative feelings. Well, Christ in you is not fearful of anything, and he has already conquered every evil. 1 John 4 and 17 says, Herein is love made perfect with us, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, even so are we in this world. Oh, how awesome. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath punishment, and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. And also 1 Corinthians 13 and 12, for now we see in a mirror darkly, but then face to face. 
Now I know in part, but then shall I know fully, even as also I was fully known. So that is our goal right there, and it's already been accomplished by Christ at the cross. We reckon ourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God. Amen. So the lion stared at me for a long period, probably an inspection. <laughs> and then he continued walking where he was going. Well, uh, Jesus is the just and righteous judge uh, of the Father's will. Uh, Revelation 5 and 5, And one of the elders said to me, Weep not, for lo, the lion, he of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath overcome to open the booklet and the seven seals thereof. Those are the seven judgments, right? When asking the Lord if the lion is Jesus or the enemy, I received Daniel 7 and 14. Well, notice the 7, 7, 7, 7 and 14, two sevens. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. And then we receive this from Claire Pinar, uh, 5.16.23. Our lives should be an offering. Amen. I dreamed that I was on the Zoom outreach, and it was Christmas time. Well, this is for the world church as we all await the coming of the man-child. It's, um, it's at the end of the calendar year with much worldly festivities and distractions. Uh, she went on to say, A man was in the meeting, and he was so quiet, and he was sitting in front of the same big bay window that I have seen in my dreams before. Could be a window of insight. Okay, uh, it's a window of a hotel resort, in other words, for a temporary stay, right? He was utterly miserable. He was away with extended family at a resort, and these folks did not understand why all the Christmas festivities are wrong. And it upset the man. Um. Julie sent a text to us to pray for him, and we did. Julie means child of God. So the flesh is miserable because he knows he has to die to self and be weak to the weak. <laughs> but the little bit of legalism is involved here, right? And as we live in the light of the Word, we realize that all those worldly idolatries supposedly in the name of the Lord, are wrong. And the old man is offended, but the world doesn't know better. And we're not to judge those who are without in First Corinthians chapter 5, right? <clears throat> so let them grow and pray for them. Then I was walking with my children through a mall or shop boulevard, but it was undercover and it was cold and wintry. I was wearing a black 
school blazer with black pants and a black long-sleeved t-shirt. I asked the Lord why I dressed in black, and I received this word by faith at random. Ezekiel 40 and 39. And in the porch of the gate were two tables on this side and two tables on that side, to slay thereon the burnt offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. According to the word received for this dream, I thought the black top is burnt offering, the black pants is a sin offering, and the black jacket is the trespass offering. So this is in line with Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. And be not fashioned according to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's three more. I wanted to show uh, my children the pictures of their baby scans when they were in the womb. And I placed the photo on my lap and wanted to take a picture with my phone. My phone screen was black, and the baby scan picture blended so much with my black pants that my phone couldn't recognize the photo and could not focus in on it. Well, my thought is, it's not the old man that we want to remember by photos. He is black, and he is at enmity with God the Bible says. And we are hidden in Christ, as the photo, and God saw and formed us and sees us in the new life, not in the old life. And that's where we see ourselves. We behold Jesus in the mirror, right? So, but in the dream I was telling my children that God created them and that they are precious and look how small we all start out. Yep. It was a precious moment for my children in the dream. Well, Psalm 139, 13 through 17 says this, For thou didst form my inward parts. Thou didst cover me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks unto thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see mine unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, even the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them. Amen. I asked the Lord about my children and what they represent, and I received by faith at random John 21 and 4. In context, 4 to 5. But one day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus therefore said unto them, Children, children, 
So they're children of Jesus, right? Have you ought to eat? And they answered him, no. So they represent the children of Jesus, right? He is our spiritual father, uh, not our heavenly father, but he is our spiritual father because he sowed the seed in our heart that brought forth Christ, right? Then we walked around the boulevard again and came back to a restaurant and there were two red-haired teenage or young adult men behind me trying to pickpocket me. Well, that's the seed of Esau who had red hair. Um, They continued to try to steal what has been given to those who live the crucified life. Those people give. These people steal. That's what they do. I noticed then that I had so much money flowing out of my pockets. <laughs> well, uh, she puts the N-E-N-T here. John 10 and 10. The thief cometh not but to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they might have life and may have it in abundance. So the Edomites are compulsive thieves in our day and are trying uh, now to steal from us. Okay. Eh, But God won't let them. There was so much money and it was all different colors, just like the South African and Australian banknotes. I thought, I better go count the money to see if anything's stolen. But in the dream, I didn't know how much I had in the first place because it was a great deal of money that had suddenly appeared. Well, the same God that can put it in your pocket can keep it there or bring it right back when somebody steals it. Multiplied, actually. Uh, And the FCR will bring this money. Okay. Uh, I asked the Lord for a word concerning the money and received this by faith at random. Luke 1, 54 through 55. He hath given help to Israel his servant that he might remember mercy as he spake unto our fathers towards Abraham and his seed forever. Amen. Well, the... uh, Multicolored money represents the promises of God in His Word through Jesus who gives us whatsoever we ask for. You know, the um, rainbow was a promise and uh, the, the rainbow-colored money is a promise and it also probably represents the different people of the world, the different races and the different colors of people in the world because it is worldwide. 1 John five fourteen and 15, and this is the boldness which we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions which we have asked of him. So the colored notes could also represent uh, the rainbow, which is a promise of protection in Future days of judgment. Genesis 9.13 I do set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. 
Also, all races and colors will partake of the GCR, right? Amen. So, we went to a family steakhouse restaurant called Spur and tried to find adequate seating. It was busy, and there were many Africans there who were very interested in our money. <laughs> well, the, um, a steakhouse represents uh, killing the flesh um, in the fiery trial, right? And the Africans could spiritually, I say spiritually, represent those who walk in darkness, who are only interested in the promises and not in sacrificing the self-life. I mean, the the uh, flesh on the altar, right? And they are spiritually undiscerning and still have a love for the world and worldly things. Then we saw the same man from the Zoom outreach who was unhappy about his apostate family. We went to him and prayed for him. We all held hands and prayed in the middle of the restaurant for the oppression to leave. It was short, and he was grateful. He said, even though I am on holiday with family, I am still so alone. So we prayed again and offered him to come and sit with us, and he did not. We found a little wooden pew, very small and narrow, at the back of this steakhouse and sat there. Well, pews are generally very uncomfortable, but it uh, provides rest. That's the important thing. And when we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, it's very uncomfortable, but we can rest in the promises um, applicable to us are then multiplied. So, the promises from the wooden cross is what we rest on, right? There were a few Asians and Africans who were sitting in similar pews waiting for their food. As I sat down, I realized that the money must have multiplied now as it was weighing uh, the right side down and it was poking a hole through the inside lining of my jacket. I did not know my paper money could uh, make holes in clothing, which tells you how much uh, there was in my blazer pocket. Then I asked the Lord who I represent here, or is this dream only for me? And I received John 4 and 21 with my finger on woman. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. So maybe the woman, she's representing the woman, and maybe of Revelation 12. Hmm? So now we go to Daniel Pinar, the son of... Five seventeen twenty three. We called it "Run and Endure the Race." I dreamed I was running on an athletic track, and then it became a cross country race. It was so challenging. Daniel means God is my judge. Every stride I took was such a strain. It was a windy track. 
I didn't it I didn't seem to be going fast. Well, uneven, uh, rugged terrain of cross country is uh, with hills and valleys and represents the trials and tribulations that we have in this world, I believe. And John uh, 16 and 33 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Consider it done, he's saying. Then I was back on the athletic track, and I was so fast, I even beat Uncle Edwin. Claire's note here is Edwin means wealthy friend, and he likely represents uh, the world. He is super fast and fit uh, in the natural. So when we go into the wilderness, we are in a position of weakness, and we go through many trials and tribulations there, and it makes our inner man strong. Uh, it all works together for our good so that we can finish the race strong. And getting back on the track represents that the faith of rest empowered Daniel. Maybe it also represents the outpouring of the latter rain, and many signs and wonders follow with quick and immediate manifestations. Joel 2, 21-23 says, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord hath done great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring. For the tree beareth its fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he giveth you the former rain in just measure, and he causeth to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And Isaiah 40 and 31 says, But they that wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Good promises, Lord. Thank you so much. And this is Claire, again, Claire Pinar, 522-23, and we called it Bride Intercedes, Man-Child Wins. Amen. I dreamed Daniel and I were on a rugby field. This is a super high-contact, aggressive game. Well, it could represent our fight against the other side, (laughs) the powers and the principalities, right? Ephesians 6 and 12 says, For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood. If you're wrestling with flesh, by the way, that's kind of witchcraft, you know. And if you do witchcraft, you become a witch, see? This is not our calling. We 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 uh, wrestle with the principalities and powers, and against the world rulers of this darkness, and against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's our battle. Second Corinthians ten and four says, "For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty before God unto casting down of strongholds." Yes, if we use our sword of the spirit on these spirits, on these demons, 
will do much more good than trying it on humans, right? (laughs) I was cheering him on and on the field with him as we were simply hanging out. And then a whistle or a siren blew, and all of our family and many, many others came running across the rugby field to fill the stadium. Ooh. The real game was about to begin. The first trump signals of the start of the tribulation, right? I never saw the opposition, but Daniel was the only one on his team. Well, our opposition is spiritual, never physical. Daniel represents that there is only one victor, right? Galatians 2 and 20 and 21 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that live, but Christ liveth in me. And that life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith, the faith which is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not make void the grace of God, for if righteousness is through the law, then Christ died for naught. And 1 Corinthians 9 and 24 says, Know ye not that they that run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. Even so run that you may attain. Well, we know that that one is Christ, right? And that the promise was given to one, uh, which Galatians tells us very plainly, and that one is Christ. And therefore, we have to abide in him to be one in him. Again, there are those who fight against unity of the body of Christ in him. And that's what faction means. So, uh, stay far away from that because you will never be one with that spirit in you. So, Daniel means God is my judge she says, and the start of the tribulation is the start of the fulfillment of the rest of the prophecy of Isaiah 61 that Jesus stopped halfway through. Yes, he did. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, Oh, what a wondrous time this will be, right? And the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Yes, many people in bondage to demons and religious spirits and so on and so forth. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. There's that second part. Yes, God is coming with vengeance against the enemies of his people. He's going to uh, preserve his people by judging their enemies. And to comfort all that mourn, and to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them a garland for ashes. Yes, they've just gone through the the uh, burning up of the flesh, and uh, now they get the garland. And the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Daniel was wearing all white, 
and his blonde hair was shining in the sun, S-U-N slash S-O-N, right? His clothing represents being submitted to Jesus, justified by faith, washed in the blood, cleansed in the blood. Amen. Revelation 3 and 5, He that overcometh shall thus be arrayed in white garments, and I will in no wise blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before the holy angels. And uh, and it was given unto her that she should array herself in fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Revelation 19 and 8. Also, I will add uh, 1 John 1, 6 through 10. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. That's those that have fellowship. They've become one. Um, Fellowship, of course, is a communion of people together, right? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For this reason, people who are demon-possessed have trouble confessing their sins. Yes, they can't do it because the devil knows he's lose his house if they confess their sins. Okay, so the N-E-N-T here, John 8 and 12. Again, therefore, Jesus spake unto them, saying, I am the light of the world, who followeth me shall in no wise walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. Daniel intercepted the ball immediately and started running. One of the invisible opposition knocked the ball out of his hand, and it was knocked out of the field. Well, that's just probably representing the trials and the tribulations and the enemy trying to steal our kingdom benefits and heavenly position in Christ, no doubt. I was standing on the line, and I was screaming for all it was worth, cheering him on. And uh, she puts the bride intercedes for the man-child. I then got onto the field once I caught the ball and sent Daniel a side pass. <laughs> the bride also participates with the man-child in the work. I knew I couldn't get ahead of him as forward passes are not allowed. <laughs> Uh, well, she's not a Jezebel, but, but walks beside him, right? Okay. Uh, John 3 and 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Amen. I ran with him a short time, encouraging him as he caught the ball. Daniel was now far in front of the opponents, and he could confidently kick the ball through the poles for a goal. It was fantastic. Everyone cheered, and he was happy, but not boastful. Of course, that's because the victory belongs to Jesus uh, in us. 
He's already won it. He said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Amen. I received Ezekiel 18 and 10 by faith at random in context, 18, 10 through 18. If he beget a son that is a robber, a shedder of blood, and that doeth any one of these things, and that doeth not any of those duties, but even hath eaten upon the mountains, and defiled his neighbor's wife, hath wronged the poor and needy, hath taken by robbery, hath not restored the pledge, hath lifted up his eyes to the idols, hath committed abomination, hath given forth upon interest, and hath taken increase, shall he then live? He shall not live. He hath done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. So what we see here is a wicked son cannot win the contest. He is losing the game against his flesh. Amen? But then, verse 14, Now lo, if he beget a son that seeth all his father's sins, which he hath done, and feareth and doeth not such like, that hath not eaten upon the mountains, neither hath lifted up his eyes to idols of the house of Israel, hath not defiled his neighbor's wife, neither hath wronged any, hath not taken aught to pledge, neither hath taken by robbery, but hath given his bread to the hungry, and hath covered the naked with a garment, that hath withdrawn his hand from the poor, and uh, that hath not received interest nor increase, hath executed mine ordinances, hath walked in my statutes, he shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live. And as for his father, because he cruelly oppressed, robbed his brother, and did that which was not good among his people, behold, he shall die in his iniquity. So, the righteous score all the points in this game, uh, which is for eternal life. And some people ignore all these things because of Lust of the flesh, ego, whatever. This one is Samuel Fires three twenty four twenty three. Love of saints brings deliverance. I saw myself in the center of a room. Then all the women in the UBM outreach and local brethren all linked hands and surrounded me and closed in until all were sitting together with no gaps. Then all the men did the same in an outer circle. I felt them all praying in tongues and English with God's love and grace. I felt this holy love pressing and squeezing with an intense, comfortable heat. I then felt something start to bubble up, wriggling inside, up from deep within me. This was something dark, and then it escaped out of my mouth upward like a volcano eruption. I then felt so much better. Praise the Lord. I felt this meant 
that the surrounding of the saints in layers of love allowed deliverance. The fellowship and desire of the Lord will allow us to be completely free in Jesus. Well, amen. Well, when the saints come together, one will chase a thousand, two will chase ten thousand. If any two of you agree is touching anything, it shall be done by our Father. When they come together and pray in unity, uh, there is power. We should do it more often. Okay, this next one is we called Intercession. It's Tiana Fire, 3.18.23. I saw myself holding a long string over the back of my shoulder. And I saw the string leading into a big, giant, black abyss. The string went down into the abyss, and I saw the string wrapped around all the people that I have ever prayed for, including random people I don't know, all people that are not yet following Jesus. The string had no weight and was light and easy to hold, and it didn't cut my skin. The string represents our prayers of intercession connecting people we pray for to the throne of grace and the Lord Jesus, our great high priest, who is also always making intercession for us. James 5 and 16 says, Confess therefore your sins one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 1 Timothy 2, 1-6 says, I exhort, therefore, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all men, for kings and in all that are in the high place, that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and gravity. So, prayers for all men. Do we take time to do that? The Bible says pray without ceasing, obviously, and we see people in need all time, all day long. We see people in need, and, and we can pray. Put that string on them, right? This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator also between God and men, himself man, Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all, the testimony to be born in its own times. Yes. I felt that they are held there by Jesus' faith and prayers through me, and by God's grace and intercession they won't fall into the abyss. They are dangling there because they haven't yet come to Jesus. But in God's perfect time, by His grace, they will either be pulled out or they will climb up and uh, using the string. Well, Jesus interceding through us is more powerful and effective than we know. Jesus' faith through us is keeping many souls back from the pit, even if they repent at the last moment like the thief on the cross they will come into the kingdom of God. And if we don't allow, um, she said, 
Jesus to intercede through us and believe for others, they may fall into the pit. I felt that Jesus' faith and prayers through me was the only thing keeping them from falling. Well, this is true. We should remember this. God hears our prayers uh, for our lost loved ones, for people around us that we see in need, people we want to help, you know. I felt this vision is to encourage us all to allow Jesus to intercede through us all the time and not give in to the flesh that is constantly trying to stop us from communing with our Heavenly Father and seeking and being about His will and His business, not getting all distracted with the world, right? And given here is NENT, First uh, Thessalonians 5.17, Pray without ceasing. And Ephesians 6 and 18, With all prayer and supplication, praying at all seasons in the Spirit, and watching thereunto in all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So pray for them. Don't be judging them, being critical of them, and all these things. If you're praying and believing for them, you don't have to do that, right? This is what God wants us to do. Pray and believe, not criticize, a lie or slander, (laughs) like some people we know. I felt this vision is to encourage us all to allow Jesus to intercede through us all the time and not give in to the flesh that is constantly trying to stop us from bringing souls into the kingdom. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. And I'll put another note here that you can go to and look, read some on. Anyway, uh, this is Samuel Fires, twelve sixteen twenty two. Prayers of warfare. I had a vision of the enemy, the kingdom of darkness, its principalities and powers, up above the earth in the air, formulating and sending attacks down on the people. Okay, principalities and powers, judging, acting against our well-being. N-E-N-T, Ephesians 6 and 12, For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against the authorities and against the world rulers of this darkness and against the spirituals of the wickedness in heavenlies. In Psalm 91, 5 and 6, Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor the destruction that wasteth at noonday. I then saw the prayers of the saints going up from the earth, because they prayed in the Spirit. The demons were unable to grasp or stop the prayers. Hmm. All right, Mark 16 and 17 says, And these signs shall accompany them that believe in my name shall they cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues. Yes. Praying in the Spirit is speaking with new tongues. Acts 2 and 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit prays through us according to the will of God, the Scripture says. Uh, 
and he prays in tongues. There's a reason for tongues, because if we know what we're saying, sometimes we would interfere with it because of doctrines or feelings or whatever. But when you don't know what you're saying, it's a pure language of the Holy Spirit to the Father. Mm -hmm. And you're not interfering. So, because you don't know what you're saying. Acts 19 and 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. The Holy Spirit came, they spake with tongues. 1 Corinthians 12 and 10. And to another working of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another discerning of spirits, and to another divers kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. And also 1 Corinthians 14 and 18, which says, I thank God I speak with tongues more than you all, Paul said. He thanked God. Because we build ourselves up on our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Mm. I could see the prayers were separate, protected, and encoded. So, praying in the Spirit is not with our understanding. It is in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14 and 15 says, What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with my understanding also. So praying with the Spirit is praying in tongues. It's not using our understanding. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the understanding also. I love to do this. I enjoy it. God can make tongues understood or not understood by men or demons. God can do that. The prayers were piercing through the darkness straight past the enemy and not hindered the slightest. The enemy could not block or stop them. There was no way that the enemy had the ability to know or decode the prayers. So, let me say, even when they do know, they cannot do anything about it, for God is sovereign over all vessels of honor and dishonor. Read the book of Job. They had to have permission. They know what their permission is. It's when we step over the line and out from under the blood. They have permission. <clears throat> and even then we rescue people, right? So, the NEND for Revelation 8, 4 and 5 says, And the smoke of the incense for the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it from the fire off the altar and cast it into the earth. And the thunders came and the voices and lightnings and an earthquake. Hmm. Could be the coming of the Lord there. I then saw our Lord interceding and answering the prayers. It was like each prayer received was uh, launch codes <laughs> that were enabling a full armament to be unleashed. He then sent forth fire and judgment raining down onto the enemy's kingdom. Now, we can't call fire down out of heaven. Jesus rebuked for that. His disciples wanted to try it. He said, you don't know what spirit you're of, right? No, but um, fire down on the enemy's camp, the enemy's kingdom, the demons. We war with these demons. 
and we have authority over them and to judge them. So each time the saints prayed in the Spirit, there was more fire brought upon the enemy. Yeah. Romans eight thirty three and 34 says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? I'll tell you, it's the devil. He's the accuser of the brethren. Mm-hmm. And he's got a lot of helpers. It is Christ Jesus that died, yea, rather was raised from the dead, who is at the right, at God's right, who also intercedeth for us. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Hebrews 7 and 25, Whence also he is able to save to the uttermost them that approach God through him. He ever liveth to make intercession for them. Psalm 11 and 6, Upon the wicked he will rain snares, fire and brimstone, and burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. So notice, it's God doing this. It's not men. Notice God is doing this, uh, and we are forbidden by Jesus to call down fire on our physical enemies, right? So we don't wrestle with them. They're just dupes, right? And uh, we, we deal with the entities that are oppressing them, possessing them, whatever. We deal with them, right? Psalm 18, 13 and 14 says, Lord also thundereth in the heavens, and the Most High uttereth his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. Yea, lightnings manifold and discomfited them. I felt that we have to keep feeding the flames of our Lord in prayer, in spirit, to keep giving a reason for our Lord to send the attack back on the enemy. Ephesians 6 and 18. With all prayer and supplication praying at every season in the Spirit, and watching thereunto in all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Yes, uh, you need to pray for others. Others get under attack from the wicked, and you need to jump in there and help, right? Psalm 50 and 3 says, Our God cometh and doth not keep silence. A fire devoureth before him, and it is very tempestuous round about him. His recompense is before him, and his reward is with him, the Bible says in Isaiah. I then felt that the darkest hour of warfare is when few people are alert or awake. We all need to consciously pray in the Spirit and keep the pressure and attack on the enemy. Yes, amen. First Thessalonians 5, 4-8 says, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. For you are all sons of light, sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as do the rest, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, since we are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of plate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. 
So it's okay to wake up in the night and start praying. God does that. He wakes us up. We pray. It's good. It's quiet. You know, no distractions. Very good. So this one we call Before the Throne, Tiana Fire 2923. There is something in the spiritual realm that the Lord has allowed me to see at times, especially when a UBM sister has prayed, and I feel now the Lord wants me to write it down. It's difficult for me to put spiritual things into physical words. Many times when our sister has prayed, I am taken to a place and I've seen her or the Holy Spirit or Jesus in her in a room which seems to me to be like a courtroom. I have seen her speaking in front of the Father who was up high and what felt was in a position like a judge. And all other spirits around were watching, but waiting for the Father or the judge. The Father was completely focused and watching her, seeing and hearing every word she speaks. And him answering the prayer at the very moment the words come from her mouth. I had a supernatural knowing that he is answering the prayer right at that moment, whether it completely manifests in the physical immediately or not, but that it is all answered in the Spirit. He heard as soon as it was spoken, or even beforehand, and he moves the moment it has been spoken. I have a feeling that he is pleased, and it is his will. There were also other spirits present all around, like a 360 angle all around her and the Father, but in a lower position to the Father or Judge. These spirits remind me of everyone else in a courtroom uh, that isn't the judge or the lawyer or representative. They are like an audience or security, workers, etc., in a courtroom, but instead of being in one spot, they are spread out all around. I believe these spirits are angels or maybe also brethren that are already in heaven. When I'm seeing this, it is all I see and feel, and it's as if I am nowhere else but in this place. And this is the most important thing that I can even think of anywhere or anything else. After being in this place, I feel much more spiritually clean. The feeling is like having a lovely shower and feeling fresh and clean. I sought the Lord as I was wondering how this sister's prayers go straight before the Father so often and, and how is it that he answers them as soon as she prays. And how is it that she is able to get to that place? I have only experienced this myself a few times, but have been there many times when our sister is praying. One thing is praying in faith. You have to pray in knowledge, of course. You want to pray according to the will of God. But praying in faith, the prayer of faith, is powerful. 
And we learn how to do that because Jesus taught us all things whatsoever you pray and ask for. Believe you received them and you shall have them. I felt the Lord say that because she is aligning herself with the Holy Spirit or Jesus, she is allowing the Holy Spirit or Jesus to speak and intercede through her. And because it's the Holy Spirit, it is completely aligned with the Father and His will and word and is therefore heard and answered when immediately spoken. This is one of the reasons we read the Scriptures, to get in alignment with God in our beliefs, so that we pray those things that are good and right and necessary, right? For me, this has increased my faith and given me a desire to learn to always allow the Holy Spirit to pray through me, rather than me praying what I think God wants, or from myself, or praying scripture from my own memory, or religiously. Many times my prayers aren't answered, and I feel now, a lot of time, it's because I am praying for what I think God wants, or my needs, rather than just allowing the Holy Spirit to pray through me. Yes, you know, when you pray in the Spirit, um... You're praying according to the will of God. Therefore, everything you ask, you get. It's very important to pray in the Spirit. And if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can do this. And she says, All glory to Father God. Amen. I agree. And also, the more we come into agreement with the Word, let me say, the more our prayers are answered. John 15 and 7. If you abide in me, and of course there's no sin in him, we're walking righteously. Yes, failure is covered by the blood. Uh, Ignorance is covered by the blood. Willful disobedience uh, is just stubborn rebellion, and it's not covered by the blood, according to Hebrews 10, 26. So, John 15 and 7 says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatsoever you will, it shall be done unto you. In other words, the person who abides in Christ, walking in him, walking as a disciple, uh, who is full of the word, uh, their prayers are going to be heard. They're going to be heard, which is awesome. Father, we thank you so much for this, and um, we ask, Lord, that we have a love for your word, and we stay in your word, and we stay in prayer. You said pray without ceasing. We could be praying everywhere for everybody that we see all around us, and uh, especially for those that we love and that we see in need in the church. So thank you, Father, for that. Please uh, work that in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Sure is good to be back with you again, and I bless you in the name of Jesus. So let's go to the Father and ask that His grace be upon us so that we can have a good time today in the Word. Well, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I want to come to you boldly before your throne, and I'd like to receive your grace today to give out this word to encourage the people in the word of God, 
And I praise you for that, Father. And I ask, Lord, that you would bring your word to our remembrance by your Holy Spirit, just like you promised. And I ask, Lord, that you would uh, raise this standard against these enemies of ours lives and that your word would come to our mind and our understanding in this time that we're in that would defend us in these days. And Lord, I ask that you place it in everybody's heart to put on that armor of God to defend against the enemy because we are overcomers. And I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Well, I want to talk to you today about the faith of the overcomer. And in the mind of the Father, folks, we are conquerors and we are overcomers. Listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For whatsoever is begotten of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that hath overcome the world, even our faith. It was our faith that brought us into this family of conquerors. Who is he that overcomes the world but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Because we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that he died for our sins according to what the Scriptures say. And that he rose again for our justification. And we believe that the moment we take him, Jesus, to be our Savior and confess him as our Lord, God takes us to be his children and gives us eternal life. And this places us in that realm of conquerors because healing and victory are ours. They are ours without asking. And all we have to do is to know it and to praise God for it. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says this, Having then a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Folks, we're supposed to hold fast our confession. Well, what's our confession? It's that we are new creations. That sin has been put away. And that we are the righteousness of God in Him. And we confess that surely He has borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases. Our confession is that He was stricken, smitten of God with our infirmity and weaknesses. And now, by His stripes... We are healed. Sin and disease has been put away, and in the name of Jesus, we have dominion over Satan and all the works of his hands. In his name, that's Jesus' name, we cast out demons. And in his name, we lay hands on the sick. And what happens? They recover. And if we can cast out demons... We can also command demon diseases to leave our bodies. For disease was brought there by a demon and is being developed by a demon. And we say, in Jesus' name, demon, leave that body. And that demon is under obligation to the name of Jesus to obey you. When Jesus arose from the dead, he arose because we with him had conquered Satan. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15 
having despoiled the principalities and the powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And folks, Jesus' triumph is our triumph. Jesus' victory is our victory. He did nothing for himself. It was all for us. And today, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we ought never to talk about diseases. When we tell our troubles to people, it's always to get somebody's sympathy, right? And that trouble came from the adversary. And when we tell our troubles, we're given our testimony of Satan's ability to get us into difficulty. And when we talk about our diseases, <clears throat> we're glorifying the enemy. He's the one that had the ability to put that disease on us. And when we confess our lack of strength or ability, we confess that Satan has so blinded us that we can't enjoy our rights and privileges in Christ. Psalms 27 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? God has made Jesus to be wisdom unto us. He's made him to be redemption unto us. And if that's true, then Satan ain't got no right to reign over us with sickness, disease, weakness, or failure. And every time we talk about our troubles, we glorify Satan, who put that trouble on us. Our confession should be that God is our strength, our wisdom, our complete and perfect redemption, our sanctification, and our righteousness. We are the righteousness of God in Him. And we can do all things in Him who strengthens us. And today the name of Jesus in our lips can conquer disease and sickness. That name can bring courage and victory to the defeated and the whipped. The prayer of unbelief never gives faith. When you pray for faith, you confess your unbelief. And that increases your doubts. For the prayer is never heard. The doubter often prays for things that are already his own. He already possesses faith. God has blessed him with every spiritual blessing that governs every spiritual need. Redemption has never been seen as a reality. It's a theory, a creed, a doctrine, and few expect experimental evidence of it. Satan has taken advantage of our ignorance of redemption and put disease upon us, and that holds us in bondage. And that defeated one, that Satan, holds his master, that's us, in bondage. Folks, the believer is Satan's master. We are Satan's masters. Now, <clears throat> the methods of healing. There are five ways by which healings are obtained through the Word. And it would be good to notice it. Uh, last week I called your attention to the fact that the early church, the first century church, used healing as a means of advertising the gospel as well as blessing the people. John fourteen thirteen through 14 uh, says this, And whatsoever you shall ask, 
or demand, in my name that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14, if you shall ask anything in my name, that will I do. And if pain comes, you say in the name of Jesus Christ, leave my body. And that pain has to go. You are the master of your own body. You rule it, and you have a right to freedom from pain or sickness. And in that name, you command it to leave. You're not demanding it of the Father because the Father has given you that authority over all demon forces. And you can use the name to break the power of the enemy over the unsaved and make it easy for them to accept Christ. It says, you know, in that name, they that believe shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Every believer should understand that he has a right to perfect deliverance from the hand of the enemy in that name. Now, a second method is found in Mark chapter 16, verse 18. In my name they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You know, the believer has the nature of God in him. He has the life of God in him. The Spirit dwells in him. And it's that power within him that goes out through his hands in the name of Jesus and heals the sick. Now, sometimes it's accompanied by manifestation, and they'll feel the life of God pouring through his body. But at other times, there may not be any manifestation. And it don't make any difference whether or not there's any uh, manifestation or not. They that believe shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. That's what it says. The same power that is in him can be exercised in the name of Jesus for a sick one in a distant place, in another country. The moment he prays in that name, God's healing power reaches out to that one that he's prayed for and he is healed. Glory be to God. That's the power that God has given us. Now, third method is for the believer who's governed by the senses and not by the word. First Corinthians 3, chapter 1 through 3 calls him a baby in Christ. James 5 and 14, is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save him that is sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, it shall be forgiven him. Now, this scripture is for those who have never developed their spiritual life so as to take their places in Christ. It's for those who must depend on others to pray for them. Now the fourth method of healing is found in John chapter 16, verses 23 and 24. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if you shall ask anything of the Father, he will give it you in my name. Hitherto, have you asked nothing in my name? Ask, and you shall receive that your joy may be made full. Every believer has a right to ask the Father for healing or any other blessing. And if he asks in the name of Jesus, he has the absolute guarantee that the Father is going to hear and he's going to answer his prayer. Now the fifth method 
of healing is found over in Matthew 18 and 18. If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done of them, of my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Where two are united and are demanding in Jesus' name the healing of loved ones, prayer is bound to be answered. God watches over his word to make it good. Now there's another method of healing which I believe to be the best. In Isaiah 53 verses 3 through 5 says this, As surely he hath borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was smitten for our diseases. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now here's the absolute statement of the of fact that by his stripes we are healed. First Peter 2.24 says this, Who his own self bear our sins in his body upon the tree, that we having died unto sins, might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. That's past tense. Glory to God. Matthew eight sixteen through 17 says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our diseases. These scriptures right here prove that healing is ours. And we simply know that by his stripes we are healed. And we thank the Father for our perfect deliverance. And it's not necessary that we pray or ask the Father to heal us. We know that he said, by his stripes you were healed. The afflictions in our bodies were laid on Jesus. He bore them. And we ain't no need for us to bear them. All we need to do is recognize and accept that fact. And that we refuse to allow disease in our body. We are healed, glory to God. And every believer should thoroughly understand that his healing was consummated in Christ. And I'll tell you what, it would mean the end of chronic troubles in the body of the believer, glory to God. Now, if it wasn't for this thing you call sin consciousness, I'd have faith. If I had faith, I would have my healing. But the word does not seem to real real to me. I read it and I say, by his stripes I am healed. And yet, in my mind, I hear another voice saying, but the pain is still there. And I find that I'm giving two testimonies, excuse me, two testimonies continually. One with my lips and another with my intellect. Well, listen, you need to understand this. No matter what one's standing is in heaven, if he has no faith in it, it ain't going to do him a bit of good. And no matter what a man's privileges are, if the hand of faith is paralyzed, he can't take hold of them. And as long as he's ruled by sin consciousness, he has no sense of redemption. He's under condemnation, and Satan rules him. 
And as long as Satan rules, faith is be shriveled up and undeveloped. You know, all through the Pauline revelation from Romans through Hebrews, a complete redemption is taught. There is a perfect redemption. Satan is conquered, Hebrews 2 and 14. Since then the children are sharers in flesh and blood, he also himself in like manner partook of the same, that through death he might bring to naught him that had the authority of death. That's the devil. Jesus stripped him of his authority. Revelation 1 and 18. Here's what Jesus triumphantly says. He says, I am he that was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. Satan was put to nothing. His Every bit of his ability was paralyzed when Jesus was resurrected. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Having despoiled the principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So Satan then has no dominion over us. Romans chapter 6 and verse 14 says, Sin shall not have dominion over you. And if redemption does, does not deliver us from sin consciousness... It's no better than Judaism. If it can't free us now from condemnation, God and Christ have failed. Satan has become the master. If sin consciousness rules, acting on the word is impossible. Faith is a withered flower where sin consciousness rules. So the problem of faith then is to get rid of of sin consciousness. And folks, the Word is the only cure. It declares that we are redeemed, glory to God. Ephesians 1 and 7, In whom we have our redemption through His blood, the remission of our sins. And if we have been redeemed, Satan's dominion is broken and we are free, glory to God. And not only has a perfect redemption been accomplished, but provision for a perfect recreation has been made. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, they are become new. But all things are of God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Folks, there is a complete recreation and a complete reconciliation. And if God has recreated us, we are not under bondage to the things of the old creation. If a man has been recreated, it's God's own work. He did it through the Holy Spirit and His own Word. And that new creation is affected by the impartation of God's own nature. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 uh, tells us that we become partakers of the divine nature. We're actually born from above. That old sin nature has left us and a new nature, which is free from condemnation, has taken its place. Romans chapter 8 
verses 1 and 33 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. We've been made free from the law of sin and death, folks. And in verse 33, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? God has justified or declared us righteous by his word. And that word justify means to make righteous. Righteousness is the ability to stand in the Father's presence without the sense of guilt, sin, or inferiority. And we stand there as though sin had never been. And if redemption does not mean that, if the new creation doesn't give us that, then God has failed. But the new creation must be as free from sin as Adam was before he committed sin or God has failed in his redemptive work. And somebody might say, well, what about John, 1 John 1, 6, which says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in it. He's speaking of a broken fellowship here. If a man says he has fellowship with the Father when he's living under condemnation, he's telling a lie. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Every man who is living in broken fellowship is walking in darkness. First John chapter 1 and verse 9. <clears throat> if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we've not sinned when we're living out of fellowship, we're telling a lie. And if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, We are His workmanship. Folks, He not only made us new creations, but He made us righteous as well. Romans chapter 3 and verse 26, That He might Himself be righteous and the righteousness of him that hath faith in Jesus. And this declares that he has become the righteousness of the man that has faith in Jesus as Savior. And if God has become our righteousness, we have a legal standing in his presence. First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 tells us that he was made unto us righteousness. It says this, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who was made unto us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Well, then we have God as our righteousness and Jesus as our righteousness. Then Romans chapter 4 and verse 25 says, Who was, deli who was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our justification? Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Being therefore justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 5 and 21 says, Him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He not only becomes our righteousness, but now he also makes us his righteousness by a new birth, a new recreation. We stand before him reconciled, without condemnation, in fellowship with the Lord. 
And the scripture means exactly what it says. The believer has a legal right to stand in the Father's presence without condemnation. And if he can do that, then acting on the Word is possible. And if acting on the Word is possible, everything that belongs to us in Christ becomes available at once. When Jesus arose from the dead, he left and eternally defeated Satan behind him. Now, always think of Satan as the eternally defeated one, because that's what he is. Now, this is Jesus' spiritual ministry, and it began on the cross. Isaiah 53, 3-5. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faith. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. You know, the disciples couldn't see it when they looked upon the thorn-crowned man of Galilee. He was then bearing our sicknesses and our diseases. And over in the 10th verse it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath made him sick. He made him sin with our sins, and he made him sick with our sicknesses. Isaiah 52 and 14 says, His visage was marred more than any man. It was so marred that he no longer looked like a man. That wasn't his physical body, folks. God could not look on his soul. When God made his soul an offering for sin, he was stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. It was God who laid our diseases on him. He was smitten by justice because he was our substitute. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. It was not the physical stripes upon his back made by the Roman guard, but the stripes that God put upon him with our diseases when he was judged and cast out in our stead. Matthew 8 and 17 says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our disease. He bore them all. And what he bore, we don't need to bear ourselves. Well, what he took upon himself, we don't need to suffer with ourselves. And we've come to believe that it's just as wrong for a believer to bear his sickness when Jesus bore it as it is for him to bear his sins when Christ bore it. We have no right to live in sin and to bear those hateful habits that make life a curse because Christ bore them. It was wrong for him to bear them if we're going to bear them too. And it's wrong for us to have sickness and disease in our bodies when God laid those diseases on Jesus. He became sick with our diseases that we might be healed. He knew no sickness until he was made sick with our diseases. 
and the object of his sin-bearing was to make righteous the ones who believe on him. And the object the object of disease-bearing was to make well the ones who believe in him as the disease-bearer. His sin-bearing made righteousness sure to the new creation. His disease-bearing makes healing sure to the new creation. He made he took our sins and made us righteous. He took our diseases and made us well. He took our infirmities and gave us strength, and He exchanged His strength for our weakness, His success for our failings. And we understand that disease is broken ease, broken fellowship with heaven. Disease is pain, weakness, loss of ability to bless and help. <clears throat> and it makes slaves of the people who care for the sick, the loved ones who are up night and day working over the sick ones. They are continually robbed of joy and rest. Sickness is not of love, and God is love. Disease is a robber. It steals health, it steals happiness, it steals money that we need for other things. Disease is an enemy. You can look to see what it is stolen from a cancer patient. It came upon him in the midst of young manhood or womanhood and made him a burden to the family. Filled him with anxiety and doubt, fear and pain, and it robbed him of his faith. You can see what disease has done to that woman. It has robbed her of her beauty and her joy and love, and she's no longer able to fill the place of a mother or a wife. And all of that's of the devil, glory to God, it is. Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, verse 1 through 17, that disease was of Satan. Then Luke 13, 1 through 17, And behold, a woman that had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, and she was bowed together, and could in no wise lift herself up. Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound, lo, these 18 years, to have been loosed from this bond? And as you know, she was Satan-bound. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 tells us that Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. From the beginning to the end of Jesus' public ministry, he was always fighting Satan. His battle was not with men, but entirely with demons who indwelt men. He was the devil who used the high priesthood to stir up the strife which finally nailed Jesus to the cross. Now don't tell anyone that disease is the will of love. It is the will of hate and it's the will of Satan. And if disease becomes the will of love, love has turned to hatred. If disease is the will of God, then heaven's going to be full with disease and sickness. Jesus was the express will of the Father. He went about healing the sick Disease and sickness are never the will of the Father. And to believe that they are is to be disillusioned by the adversary. If healing had not been in the plan of redemption, 
it would not have been in the substitutionary chapter of Isaiah 53. And if healing had not been in redemption, the Father would not have taught it in His Word. Jesus healed all who came to Him, Jews and Gentiles alike. He was carrying out the will of the Father. He was the will of the Father. And no matter from what angle you look at Christianity, it's a miracle. And the most amazing miracle is the new creation. And we've never been able to get at the heart of it. We have stood outside as spectators and looked at it from its various angles. A man becomes a new creation by receiving the very life and nature of God. Listen to these scriptures as it illustrates this very subject. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. And you, being dead through your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, you, I say, did he make alive together with him, having been gracious to us in all our trespasses. We've been made alive together with him. And then the twelfth verse says, Wherein you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And this is the legal aspect of the new creation. And everything that is legal ours can become a reality. And in the mind of the Father, we're made alive with Christ. And when he was made alive in spirit, we were made alive in spirit also. This becomes a reality to us when we personally accept Christ as Savior and confess Him as Lord. And the life of God comes into our spirit and recreates us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, And you did He make alive when you were dead through your trespasses and sin. And that can be called the miracle of Christianity, an actual new creation. There'd be more pleasure in an old age than in youth if we didn't fear it. We dread it because of the haunting fear of pain and disease and the struggle with death. Now here's a few facts about life and death. Spiritual death is the parent of physical death. There was no physical death until Adam died spiritually. There was no death in the original blueprints of creation. And we know that at the end of this age, death will be swallowed up of immortality. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 26 says this, The last enemy that shall be abolished is death. There's going to be a deathless eternity. And why can't there be a sickness present right now? And I believe it's the will of the Father that the church be as free from sickness as it is from sin. Death is an enemy. Weakness and disease are enemies. Death is not only the enemy of man, but it's also the enemy of God. Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10 tells us that in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, death lost its dominion. Timothy 1 and 10, but hath now been manifested by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life 
and immortality to light through the gospel. He did two things. He brought life and immortality to us, and he abolished the dominion of death. And when he rose from the dead, he had conquered death personally. He conquered death in Lazarus. He conquered death in the widow's son. He was the Lord of life. Revelation 20 and 14. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 21 and 4. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. It will be the end of death. And this promise of the final destruction of death has in it a suggestion that there is in the plan of redemption something to give us assurance of a sickly life until our bodies wear out and mortality wins without a struggle. Isaiah 53 and 3 says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And then the tenth verse, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, or made him sick. Twelfth verse says, Because he poured out his soul unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. And as you know, that's his high priestly ministry right now, at the right hand of the Father. And we can see in this whole program that heads up in these words, With his stripes... We are healed. That the sin and disease problems have been settled. As surely as Jesus was our sin substitute, as described in Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, so surely have we become the righteousness of God in Him. And the object of His being made sick with our diseases was that we might be directly healed with His life. And there's no escaping the fact that as surely as he dealt with the sin problem, he's dealing with the disease problem. Hebrews 9.26 But now once at the end of the ages hath he been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 10 and 12 But he, when he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. He He put sin away that we might be born again, that we might become new creations, and that the sin nature which had held us in bondage to the adversary ought to be eradicated and that the nature of God ought to take its place. And it's the new nature that settles the sin problem for us individually. And the problem of sins is settled. The things we did before we accepted Christ are wiped out as though they had never been. Now, we're in the family of God. We are the righteousness of God in Him. 
Hebrews 10 and 38 says, But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrink back, my soul hath no pleasure in him. The new creation is called the righteousness of God. He is the righteousness of God. His standing with the Father is just like Jesus' standing. But if he sins, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He loses the sense of righteousness when he sins, but Jesus the righteous one intercedes for him and restores his lost fellowship and sense of righteousness. Glory to God. Now let's talk a little bit about fellowship and healing. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this restores his fellowship, brings him back into full communion with the Father. Now by the same token, after one has been healed, because by his stripes we are healed, in the mind of God he is just as much healed of disease as he's healed of sin. And if after he has been healed of disease, the adversary puts upon him some other disease or infirmity, all he needs to do is to follow the procedure that he followed when he broke fellowship with the Father spiritually. Sickness is breaking fellowship with the Father physically. And as he can get restoration of fellowship and a restoration of his sense of righteousness by confessing his sins and by the advocacy of Jesus Christ, he can get his physical healing. Disease of the Spirit is the thing that keeps one from his healing. Disease of the Spirit are doubts, fears, sin consciousness, a sense of inferiority, fear of unworthiness, and a sense of unfitness to stand in God's presence. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all of this. The moment that He acknowledges that sin. Forgiveness means the absolute wiping out of everything he has confessed as though he had never committed the act. Second Corinthians chapter 5, 4 and 5 says, For indeed we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we, we would be unclothed, but that we would be clothed upon, that what is mortal may be swallowed up of life. Now he that wrought us for this very thing is God who gave unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Now that Greek word here for life is zoe. It means eternal life, resurrection life. In other words, it means that the life of the Son of God, eternal life, can absolutely dominate, rule, swallow up, and control our physical lives. And if this is true, then sickness is absolutely defeated. Physical weakness is eliminated. And in Psalms 27 and 1 is a reality. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Folks, light is knowledge. Jesus is the light of the world. And he who walks in that light is not going to stumble for as one who walks in the darkness because he'll have the light of life in him. John 8 and 12 says, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have, but shall have the light of life. And the word's going to be his lamp, his light, and his salvation. And that's, folks, is true 
deliverance, and that is redemption. Psalms 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It is deliverance from the things that are not in the Father's will. You can't for a moment believe that mortality is the will of the Father. Mortality means weakness, sickness, and death. You can't conceive of disease and sickness being the will of the Father. Says the Lord is my light and my salvation. And that means salvation from sickness, disease, and weakness of the physical body. Fear can no longer dominate your life. And if a man will be delivered from fear of weakness, death, or pain, he'd be a new conqueror. Redemption planned that very thing, that these bodies of ours should never be subject to disease after we are born again. And somebody might say, well, what about Paul's thorn in the flesh? That wasn't sickness. That was a demon interfering with his public ministry. He ain't got nothing to do with disease. And all that foolish talk about Luke being Paul's physician is not true either. Because physicians back then were sorcerers, just like they are today. And they belonged to the spiritualistic group. That Greek word pharmakia, from which we get pharmacists, is the word for sorcerer. In Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 10, Paul says, Always bearing about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life also of Jesus may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Why? They lived in the constant fear of stoning, of being thrown to the lions, of being burned at the stake. You know, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. That's an eye-opening statement. God's life reigning in our physical bodies, glory to God. Psalms 27 1. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? These mortal bodies, these death-doomed bodies of ours, now have the strength of God, the life of God. Jesus' life is imparted to our physical bodies. That's not healing, folks. That's preservation from sickness. That's protection. That's strength and power and ability of God in our physical bodies. Don't try to get your healing. God's already given it to you. Don't try to believe because you are a believer and all things are yours already. And don't talk doubt. It breeds more doubt when you do. One of the strongest scriptures in connection with healing is Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ Jesus from the dead shall give life also to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. This is physical healing. This is the Holy Spirit taking the life of God and making it powerful in our physical bodies, making it health and strength and life to us. And this same Holy Spirit who raised the dead body of Jesus is now working in our death-doomed bodies, making them perfectly sick-free and sinless. 1 John 3 and 8, He that doeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. And to this end, 
was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Folks, Jesus did his part of destroying the works of the devil. And after he left the earth, he sent the Holy Spirit and gave us the use of his own name and this wonderful revelation of the New Testament that we, as his representatives here on the earth, ought to continue on destroying the works of the devil through our lives. That the sin, the sickness, and the diseases that are in the church today, they're there because of our not taking our places in Christ. They are prevalent in the church today because we have never been exercised to do the work that Jesus said that we were to do. Do you think he would have given us John chapter 14 verses 12 through 14 if we weren't to use them? John 14, 12 through 14 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto the Father. He meant that we should do those greater works than he did, because there's a whole lot more of us, right? Our work is that of destroying the works of the adversary. And the weapon that we're supposed to use is found in the 13th and 14th verses there. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you shall ask anything in my name, that will I do. But that word ask means demand. His name is to be used in the sense that we see it used in Acts chapter 3 by Peter, who spoke to that impotent man at the gate when he said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Folks, that wasn't a prayer. That's casting out demons in that name. There is healing for the sick in that name. There is power to break disease and sickness in the hearts and lives of men in that name. And can that name of Jesus keep us from sickness? Can it keep us from want? Can it keep us from poverty, fear, and the dread of hunger and cold? And can that name be used just like Jesus suggested in Mark chapter 16 and verse 18? And these signs shall accompany them that believe. In my name shall they cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues, and they shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. The early church was utterly dependent or independent of circumstances. Now, I don't mean the whole church. I mean the apostles who understood fully the use of the name of Jesus. A man could be sick then by breaking fellowship and because of a lack of knowledge, just like they can be today. Now, the early church, or the Gentile portion of it, had never had any revelation from God. It was utterly raw material. But the Jews were in worse condition. They were covenant breakers as the modern church is. The most difficult to deal with today are the most religious. If there was sickness in the early church, it was to be expected because they had no precedent. They didn't have any examples ahead of them. 
Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And we're his instruments to do his work. We're supposed to destroy sickness in the church. And we ought to have a slogan that says, No more sickness in the body of Christ now. His word is to become a reality in the lives of men. And the fact that he bore our sins and put sin away by the sacrifice of himself, that he made provisions for the remission of all we have ever done or said, proves that we should not be sick or in bondage to sin. We ought to walk in divine health, glory to God, because he made the sacrifice for sin and the things that we had done as a result of sin nature. That new birth wipes out everything that we have ever done. Second Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, they are become new. And in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 becomes a reality. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. The people who are in Christ Jesus are sin-free, disease-free, and condemnation-free. Folks, let's have a sinless church by doing what the Word of God tells us to do. And that's to have faith to believe that God has already taken care of the sicknesses and diseases in our lives. All we have to do is believe what the Word says and confess it with our mouth and thank and praise the Lord the whole time. Well, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. I hope this has blessed you. And I hope you take it and utilize it in your life and in the people around you. God bless you, and we'll see you next time, God willing. Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh, Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will be my guiding light? The shining rays of red and white. Jesus, I trust in you. O sacred heart, in you I find mercy seated for all time. I am yours and you are mine. Oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. Jesus